Sometimes people reach out to me and ask, am I alone on struggling with this issue? Whatever the issue happens to be. And most often my answer is, absolutely not. Of course, every situation we deal with as leaders is unique, but there's also common patterns that come up for many of us. On this episode, Muriel Wilkins returns, and we reflect on the leadership struggles that we're seeing the most in our client work right now. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 559. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show helps you discover leadership wisdom through insightful conversations. One of the conversations that folks in our audience and our Academy members often start with me is, what's going on out there? What are people struggling with? What are other leaders dealing with? So often it feels like we are navigating things ourselves, and yet it's often the case that so many of the things that we struggle with as leaders are our concerns and struggles and obstacles that many of us share. Uh, There's, of course, uniqueness in every situation, but there are many patterns that, if we can recognize, can help us to lead more effectively, both for ourselves and our organizations, but probably most importantly for others. I'm so glad to welcome an expert back to the show today who has just a wonderful perspective on this for us. It's going to help us to see some of the current struggles happening out there and what we can do to take the step to avoid falling into those traps. I'm so pleased to welcome back to the show Muriel Mignon Wilkins. She is managing partner and co-founder of Paravis Partners. She's a C-suite advisor and executive coach with a strong track record of helping already high-performing senior leaders take their effectiveness to the next level. She's also the host of the Harvard Business Review podcast, Coaching Real Leaders, and is co-author with Amy Sue of Own the Room, Discover Your Signature Voice, to master your leadership presence. Prior to entrepreneurship, she served on the senior team of U.S. News and World Report and also did marketing and strategy work at Accenture and Prudential. Muriel has been recognized by the Washington Business Journal as one of Metro D.C. area's top minority business leaders. Muriel, what a pleasure to have you back on the show. So great to be back, Dave. So I'm so glad to talk to you because we're going to do something a little different in this episode than we normally do on the show, which is oftentimes I'm interviewing an expert, someone who has perspective on on something really significant, and we're presenting their work. And you and I have done that before, actually, on your book, mm-hmm. Own the Room. But what's really interesting is an intersection that we're both at. Both of us spent a lot of time working with leaders, coaching both in both individual one-on-one with you, group coaching with me in our academy. And we both host a podcast with the words coaching and leaders in the name. That's right. That's <laughs> and, right. And so we thought it might be really interesting to look at what are we seeing out there right now when we put our heads together, as you and I have done, what are some of the struggles we're seeing leaders deal with right now, we're seeing folks um, uh, really wrestle with, and maybe hopefully we can uh, shine a little insight into what are some trends we're seeing and hopefully maybe a bit of a next step, where can we go, what's the first thing to consider if you find yourself falling in that trap. How's that sound, Mm -hmm. Muriel? That sounds great. Cool. Well, let's start with one of them that I think has been very Top of mind, of course, um, DE&I has been on our minds, diversity, equity, and inclusion, 
for years for many of us, but especially in the last two years since George Floyd's murder and so many of the events that happened in the States here in, in, in 2020, that really changed the conversation in a big way in not only political circles and social circles, but also inside the workplace. And one of the things you shared with me is that you're finding that leaders are struggling a bit with establishing a culture without feeling exclusive. And I'm wondering if you could share a bit more about what you're seeing with that. Yeah, so it's it's really interesting, Dave, because you know, as you've said, this this notion of uh, DEI, wh- while it has been around for a long time, has gotten a lot more visibility over the past two years. And part of what's happening is, in the past, I think leaders knew that it was important in terms of their corporate responsibility. So sort of what I call the the check the box. Then it's moved into how does this apply to individuals in my organization or in my division or on my team in terms of making sure that they feel like they are in an environment that values DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. But when I really dig down with my leaders and they have all these initiatives in place, they sort of take a step back in recognizing that they're also responsible for setting the cultural tone of the organization. And the question that comes up as we discuss it is, is having an inclusive culture an oxymoron, right? Because when you think about what a culture is, you're basically putting a stake in the ground saying, this is what we stand for. This is what we represent. This is what it means to align with the values of this organization. And it goes so as far, I'm sure you've seen from a leadership development standpoint, um, it goes as far as sort of articulating specific behaviors that individuals need to reflect in order to demonstrate that they are aligned, they are a good organizational cultural fit. And so when you think about, you know, when we think about saying, oh, this company has a strong culture, in essence, are we also saying that if you are not representative of that culture, does that mean you don't belong? Mm -hmm. And so hence this this real uh, dichotomy of what does it actually mean to have an inclusive culture and do we need to redefine what culture even is? When you are having a conversation with someone who's struggling with that a bit, what are you asking that's helping them to clarify the answer to that question? You know, it's interesting because I think a lot of the questions that I asked them at first kind of confused them, which is okay, because they are going through the muck of it. And it, it, you know, unless they can go through the challenge of really grappling with that question, they're never really going to get to an, a response that is genuine for them. And so the question that I ask uh, that I usually start with is, what are you trying to achieve? What is it that you're trying to achieve with your organization? And we talk about it in the terms of culture because that is what they're used to. But what I tend to lead them to is what is the energy that you're trying to create in your organization? What is it that you want people to experience when they enter the door or or zoom in to a meeting or just by being a part of this organization? So it's more of a feeling. And when they're able to articulate that, then we start talking about, okay, so what, you know, 
can we put that into concrete terms? And what does that look like? And sometimes we can, and sometimes we can't. It's, it's a very difficult question, but at least they get to a place where they're thinking about it and start re-examining whether the way that they've defined their culture is actually too rigid and therefore does not reflect what it means to be inclusive. Thank you for sharing that. That That's one of the big shifts that I've seen over the last two years as well. You mentioned the phrase like check the box earlier, and I've really seen a shift in a lot of leaders that I work with from a place of explanation to inquiry. Mm-hmm. And previously, there was a lot of, well, here's what we're doing, here's the work we've done, here's the initiative that this is behind when it came to DE&I. And even immediately after George Floyd, I still heard there was actually some more of that, like, okay, here's what we're already doing. But I've I've seen that shift, I think, in a really healthy way in a bunch of places in the last year or so, where it's now a bit more of, I don't have this figured out. And I'm mm-hmm. I'm struggling with this, and I'm asking questions, and I'm asking questions, and I'm not finding easy answers. Mm-hmm. And that is where, and that's a lot of folks are finding that really frustrating. And yet, I my sense is is that's a really good move for us as a society, and as and folks who are doing leading organizations of moving into that place where. I'm a little more comfortable with being uncomfortable, and I'm Mm -hmm. a little bit more willing to ask questions I don't know the answer to and to admit I don't have all the answers to it. And I I, I, I see a shift, not everybody, but I see like enough of the people making a shift on that, that that seems like a bit of a movement that's different than it was two years ago. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, Dave. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I've been in this line of work as an executive coach close to 18 years, and I can tell you before two years ago, (laughs) I've never had a leader who starts working with me as a client say that one of the outcomes that they'd like to drive to in the coaching is understanding how they lead in this DEI world, Mm. right? And these are leaders who are not, you know, they're not the head of DEI, (laughs) right? They're the CFO, the chief marketing officer, the CEO. And so this is the first time that I've ever seen them come forth and and literally put a stake in the ground that that is part of their coaching agenda. So I think your your observation around this shift from explaining to inquiry is a very real one, not with everybody, as you said, uh, but certainly with way more than than I've ever seen. And, you know, it's challenging because people are looking for the answer, right? And they're looking for the answer in a very sort of accelerated way. And what I have to remind my clients a lot of time is, look, the reason why we have DEI now at the forefront of your leadership agenda is because there are it is hundreds of years in the making, right? This is not something that was, the issues that have led to it being an agenda item are not things that happened overnight. It, it again, hundreds of years in the making. And the difference that we're seeing now is that before this commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion was more of an individual commitment, a leader's commitment. And now it's become much more about a 
commitment to not only make a change in individuals and in our organization, but to create a systemic difference, right? We're hearing leaders talk about what is the role that their company plays in breaking down structural racism. I mean, that language never came out (laughs) of corporate leaders' mouth. At least that's not, that hasn't been my experience. So these questions are hard ones because it's, they have been built up for so long. And so I really encourage my clients to do, you know, do it justice, give it service. You've got to spend time with it. You've got to, as you said, get uncomfortable with it, not just at a personal level, but at an organizational level as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's huge. And I've been really so impressed by a number of our Academy members who have made a shift where the way they've entered into this is they've started to read books and they've listened to podcasts and they've had conversations. And part of the way they've started, not knowing what to do in many cases and not feeling comfortable or confident in having these conversations, but they've just started by talking to people in their organizations about, here's the book I read and here's where it challenged me and here's what I learned about myself. So Dave, what what's interesting to me is you talked about this shift that you're seeing from individuals taking this posture of explain to moving to inquiry. And I think that's a natural progression. What my hope is, and where I see some of my clients going to, not all of them, is that there's this, there's this third step that comes after inquiry, which is the step of acknowledgement and acceptance. Mm. And what I mean by acknowledgement and acceptance, it's this recognition that as somebody who is in a position of power, the change that needs to happen really starts with you, right? I think for so long, diversity initiatives have been about how do we help those who, you know, the minorities or the women, the underrepresented groups, how do we help them come up, okay? And it's been focused on teaching, quote unquote, teaching the underrepresented groups the way to break through the inequities. And what's been somewhat unfair about that is that it's not a large part of why there are inequities is because of individuals who are in positions of power. Yeah. And so this is a huge light bulb for a lot of my clients, right? Because they've often seen it as helping others in terms of their initiatives around DEI. And then they realize, no, this is actually about helping me so that I can make the changes that, by the way, may make me uncomfortable. And by the way, may mean that I lose a bit of power for the sake of creating a more equitable workplace. It's it's a huge shift, and I'm 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 going to be making that encouragement as well for the folks who are in the inquiry place of now starting to think about okay, yeah. what's the shift I can make as someone and many of our audience members have power in their organizations because of mm-hmm. their position because of their experience. How can I start to make that shift uh, a bit differently? Thank you so much yeah. for that invitation. One of the other ones that has come up really high on our list, and both you and I have heard it a lot recently, this question of, should I stay or should I go? We're, of course, mm-hmm. in the middle as we're recording this of 
what has been termed the Great Resignation. After the pandemic, the economic factors have changed so much everywhere. So many people are shifting roles or thinking about doing it. And even those who aren't are in the middle of navigating this within colleagues, peers, managers, employees leaving and, and finding other opportunities. When you think about this, what are what are you hearing right now from people on their struggles with this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, for better or for worse, the time that we've been in for the past 18, almost 24 months has been, to a certain extent, a, a, a time for forced reflection, right? For self-reflection. And I actually say those who have not had a chance to reflect, I'm like, what's going on? <laughs> right? Um, yeah. Because it's a big watershed moment. And so, you know, there's a couple of things that I'm seeing. One is, as you stated, those who sort of are uh, at this juncture where they are wondering whether they want to stay in their at their company or in the role that they're in. And the reason they get there is for, you know, there's a number of different reasons they get there. It's either because they've done a lot of self-introspection and they realize, gosh, this isn't really aligned with who I am or what I want. And they realize that for the first time, even though it might've been needling at them for a long time, or, you know, the burnout that they had even before now has been exacerbated and they're just plain old tired and they're tired of being tired and therefore want a change. Or because, you know, there are so many people who are engaged in this great resignation, there's, it also means there's a lot more opportunities. And so there's, you know, somewhat of a, this is an opportunity for me to advance in my career in a way that I don't think I can in my organization, or maybe it's a a sign of the the grass is greener on the other side. So there are a number of different roads, and I'm sure there are some that I didn't list that, that lead to this question of, you know, should I stay or should I go? And one of the things that I explore with my clients is first, what is leading them to that question? What is the intention behind wanting to stay and wanting or wanting to leave? And if they're leaving, what are they starting, right? Because when you leave something, it's because you're starting something else. And so what is it that they're starting? And is what they're starting aligned with where they see themselves? And by see themselves, I I really never talk about it in the form of what role do you want to be in? What position do you want to be in? I I get them to start thinking about it in terms of what is the impact that they want to make? And if they are to leave and place themselves in this next opportunity, does that bring them closer to the impact that they want to make? And when they start thinking about it in terms of impact, it actually opens up a ton of doors for them, right? Because they see that they have an opportunity to make an impact potentially in the next role. Some of them see, wow, like I actually, there's some untapped opportunity where I am to make that impact and I haven't tapped into it. And so maybe there's an opportunity to do that. This is really a binary question in a way of should I stay or should I go? Uh, mm-hmm. That it has to be, and and a lot of people we're, we're framing it that way because that's what we hear people frame it as to us, right? Uh, should mm-hmm. I stay or should I go? And yet, there's a lot of opportunity here for and perhaps. And b- by the way, this is one of the other things you and I both see as sort of a um, a constant challenge mm-hmm. for leaders is is looking at things in the framework of either or and bi- as uh, my wife Bonnie says, binary thinking. And when I think about this. 
I mean, it's so easy to, especially given what's going on in the world right now, to look at, okay, I could get more money, I could get more flexibility by going to this other firm. And then six months later, you're kind of in the same place with a different benefits package. But that's right. But but not really making like you just said, like the impact isn't really substantially different. And one of the things that I thought was really interesting. Uh, Dory Clark was on the show a little while back, and she Mm -hmm. had this great phrase on, how do you win even if you lose? And I've been thinking about that in the context of a few folks that I'm working with who are thinking about maybe making some big moves in the next six months to a year. And one of the things we've been exploring is, yes, you might ultimately make this big move, but before you do, and before this becomes like an either or, either I'm going to stay here for the rest of my career or I'm going to move on, how could you test it? How could you just start doing some things that really reflect the impact you'd like to make in going somewhere new? Is there a way to do that within the current role? Is there a way to do that as a side project or a side gig? And to see like, hey, if you did go start, for example, your own business, which one of our clients is thinking about doing, would you even like doing that? Because that's totally Mm -hmm. different than the role they're in today. And if you took on a couple of consulting gigs or side gigs, would you even enjoy all the things that come along with that? And maybe they would, but also maybe they wouldn't. Like way more valuable to know that early on than when you're a year or two into a new venture and you discover, oh gosh, I didn't really want to be doing this after all. It just looked better um, on paper. And I, I find that that's been helpful for a few people, but also strangely, like folks often don't even think about that. It's it's just, I need to need to do what I'm doing now, or I need to leave and do something entirely different. Yeah, because that's how we're used to thinking, right? Like it's easier to think that way. It's easier to think of it as two choices, <laughs> right? And as very concrete and a linear thought process rather than, oh, there's actually a lot of gray area and there's a lot of gradients and it's not perfectly clear. And that makes it a little bit harder to get your arms around. But yet it's in that gray area, in the and, in the ambiguity of it all, that we actually find the real opportunity. And so, you know, it's so interesting to me because when people think about opportunities, again, I say I try to get people to stop thinking about the role or the promotion, but think about it more about impact. But one of the things that you know I find really interesting is I ask my clients, what is it that you're looking for? And they're like, oh, you know, I'm looking for this position. No, 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 no. What is it that that position will give you? Like, what is the feeling that you're chasing? Because most people are chasing a feeling. And the the feeling could be a feeling of stability, right? And so stability gets interpreted as compensation, more money, right? Or it's a feeling in the case of your the person who you you said is wants to start their own business. It's a feeling of newness and innovation. And so what they're really chasing is that feeling. It could be a feeling of flexibility, of autonomy of camaraderie and collegiality, of collaborativeness. I mean, you can go through all of the different adjectives. And when they can start understanding what it is, what is the the feeling that they're looking for, the energy that they want to be a part of, they can then step back and say, why am I chasing that? And is it coming from a you know, a healthy place, you know, or a place of, of lack. And if it's coming from a healthy place, 
then we can start looking at, well, what are the concrete options that actually would increase the probability that most of your time you're working in a way that reflects that type of energy, that type of feeling, et cetera. Okay. And I also placed a responsibility on my client. The organization, the role, the position is not solely responsible for giving you that feeling. You have to cultivate it in yourself. Yeah. And that is, you know, that's a showstopper for them. Right? They're like, what? You're telling me like, if I'm not being, if I don't feel innovative, then me joining an innovative company is not going to help. I'm like, exactly. So let's start with you. And then we can see what the external pieces that are concrete can reflect the energy that you're bringing to it. And, and I don't know if you run into this too, but it seems to me like in at times we get to a place in those conversations, there's almost always a way they can start on that within their existing role. Mm-hmm. There's an initiative they can take on, they can volunteer, they can be brave and ask for some budget or spend some money doing something that would move them and the organization in a slightly different way and get into a bit of that feeling. And it's really interesting to me as someone who has also been caught up a lot in binary mm-hmm. thinking in my life, because I've done this before too, like we're so quick as human beings to think like, okay, I, 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 don't, I don't have what I want here and I'm going to jump and do something entirely different, which is in a lot of ways really risky, has a ton of change. And yet going to have like a conversation with a senior executive or the CEO about doing a small tweak to the current role or spending $1,000 or doing something that's like a, a relatively much smaller ask is like, well, oh, no, I couldn't do that. And it's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Right. It's like it's like seen as an exacerbated risk. And, you know, what like the the key part, if I could underline it and bold it around what you said is I can't do what I want here. Right. And so a a big piece of what I also see my clients go through is that they start believing that their career is their sole source of self-expression, right, of being able to tap into the things that they want. And understandably so, they spend a ton of time on it. They, you know, they sort of measure their own success based on their career, and so when we can expand it and say, no, no, let's let's sort of look at it from a life perspective rather than just a career perspective, to what extent are you able to, again, engage in things like innovation or give yourself flexibility or have stability, whatever it is that you're looking for from that bigger picture rather than just your career? Yeah, it's it's really a um, it's really an such an interesting way to think about it. And I do wonder, Muriel, like what the next shoe to drop on this is. Like as inevitably this is going to change, um, the labor force will stabilize at some point. We're not going to see the mass changes and and resignations that we're seeing right now. And I, I do wonder like how many of the people who have made really quick shifts in the last six months, a year, 18 months, find themselves in the same place. Not mm-hmm. literally, but find themselves not having really thought through what's the impact I want to make. And and for someone who may be listening to this, even thinking a bit of that now, my invitation would be start small. 
start some start mm-hmm. with the role you have today. Look for that opportunity to make that impact and where you might be able to test that a bit. Because if you're able to do that, what a wonderful starting point to start to figure out the impact and the feeling and all the things you've you've just articulated so beautifully. Right, exactly. And and if you do make the jump and it ends up not being the right jump, you know, 18 months from now, you figured, oh, gosh, that wasn't it. You know, here's the prize, right? Back to the how do you win when you lose? What's your growth? What did you learn? How has that 18 months helped you get closer to living the life that you want? Yeah, indeed. Related to this a bit is a is a situation that you and I run into a lot. We hear it in many conversations with clients, which is the tendency to what I would call right off the numbers person. And Mm -hmm. the kind of people who listen to this podcast and listen to a show called Coaching for Leaders or listen to your show, Coaching Real Leaders, (laughs) are the kind of people who I've learned like intuitively just get it with people. They get mm-hmm. the value of coaching, of people, of, of talent, of human resources, of whatever, wor- insert word here, but they get the importance of people and they, they tend to lead with that as a strength. Um, and then they get into conversation sometimes with other leaders in their organization. Sometimes it's peers, sometimes it's folks in the executive team, sometimes it's the CEO who tends to be more of a numbers person or numbers people, and they run into obstacles because the the initiative they're trying to move forward on bringing in more professional development or bringing in new benefits or doing something that is going to support people all of a sudden runs up in the reality of, well, how does that drive our numbers? And mm-hmm. I, I find this tendency that seems to happen a lot, which is, that conversation happens, and the kind of person who listens to a show like you and I do uh, runs into that and says often, oh, well, this person just doesn't care about people, and I'm just going to kind of write this person off. And me, and, and actually, I've several times recently, that's the trigger. That's been the trigger point for people thinking, well, I need to find a new role. I need to find a new mm-hmm. organization. And well, first of all, I'm wondering, do you run into this too a bunch, I'm sure, and you, you see this as well. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And, you know, and it, and it goes both ways, right? The numbers people <laughs> think that the people, <laughs> right. people don't understand the numbers and, and vice versa, right? So absolutely, I see it. And, and it's unfortunate because at the end of the day, it's not, you know, going back to our, our conversation around uh, binary thinking and polarization, it's not about being this way or that way. It's about getting aligned on goals, and whether you think about it from a number standpoint or a people standpoint is more around the language that you speak rather than goal, the goal in and of itself. Mm, yeah. Right. Yeah. So when I have clients who are trying to influence, because that's what they're trying to do, you know, influence another that might speak a different language than they do, in this case, have more of a numbers orientation, I, I say, don't lose sight of the goal, right? Don't lose sight of the goal. How you get there is where you have flexibility. So if you need to speak their language to move closer towards the goal, then speak their language. What do you have to lose? Yeah, and that's the piece that I see people miss, at least on the people side. And I tend to get more of the conversations with the people people just because those are the people Mm -hmm. who end up being our academy members. That is really something that I find a lot of people miss, where Mm -hmm. where they're 
they miss the, okay, we kind of both have the bigger picture, same perspective, but I'm not either able, willing, or I don't see the opportunity to like talk their language mm-hmm. and to bring a numbers bent to the to the conversation. And the challenge for a lot of those folks is they also miss like one of the truths I found, at least in organizations, is a lot of senior executives tend to be more thinkers than feelers, to borrow the mm-hmm. Myers-Briggs term. Um, they tend to be data people. They tend to be numbers people, not exclusively, of course, but it does tend to weight that way more, especially at you know the CEO level. And it's fascinating how often when we have that conversation and they start to enter into the same conversation and they look at it from a numbers perspective, retention, revenue, all of a sudden it makes a big shift, (laughs) sometimes really quickly in what's happening. It's amazing. Right. I mean, look, I think that, you know, this basically becomes a lesson in meet people where they are. Yeah. Just because you meet people where they are doesn't mean that you are there or that you have to stay there. You're just meeting them, <laughs> right? And and you have a better chance. I, I mean, this is a choice I give my clients. Like you can stay in your position or you can try to meet them where they are. Here's what I'm going to tell you. You have a better chance of influencing them if you meet them where they are. Mm, so indeed. which one do you want? What a great invitation. And let's leave it there. I have two invitations for folks after this conversation. Um, One of them is I hope that folks will uh, check out your show, Muriel, Coaching Real Leaders. I'm so impressed by what you're doing because you are talking to real leaders on every episode, uh, you are amazing at like getting people to surface like what's really going on for them. I'm, I'm really impressed by how much folks are willing to share on the show. And for anyone who wants to get even more insight and really hear what people are dealing with on a daily, weekly basis, I think it's just a wonderful opportunity for folks to um, for folks to do more. So I hope folks will uh, will check out the show. We'll link up to it in this week's weekly leadership guide. The notes, of course, um, also. I'm going to link up to our last conversation on owning the room and executive presence. So much in that conversation. We had many folks in our listening community who found that uh, last conversation to be helpful. So I hope folks will check that out as well. Maria Wilkins is the co-author of Own the Room and host of the Harvard Business Review podcast, Coaching Real Leaders. Muriel, uh, so grateful for your work. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Always a pleasure to talk to you. If this conversation was helpful to you today, several related episodes I'd recommend. One of them is episode 272, the last time Muriel was on the show, Enhance Your Executive Presence. As you heard today, Muriel has talents in so many areas, and one of them is in executive presence. She wrote an entire book on owning the room. We really detailed that in episode 272, so a lot more there, a good compliment to this conversation. Also recommended episode 529, The Way Out of Major Conflict. My guest on that episode was Amanda Ripley. Amanda's research has looked at some of what we talked about today around binary thinking, and she's looked at it from the standpoint of different countries and their political systems and how polarized our politics around the world in places that don't have just two political parties, may have three or four or five. And one of the findings in her research is that the more different perspectives you have, the less polarization you get. And it's it's just a good reminder for all of us if we tend to get into that either or thinking as Muriel and I talked about today, the importance of bringing in a third or fourth or fifth option. So helpful to us and our organizations, keeps that polarization from 
happening quite as much. Also, I'd recommend episode 550, How to Win the Long Game When the Short Term Seems Bleak. Dory Clark was my guest on that episode, her recent book on the perspective of the long game. And one of the principles I love that she mentions in that conversation is, how do you win even if you lose, even if things don't go the way you anticipate? How does a major career transition or a change of strategy still work for you, still benefit you and the organization? More on that in episode 550. And then, of course, with power comes responsibility. On episode 551, we talked about how to use power responsibly. Vanessa Bonds was my guest on that episode, talking about how power shows up. And of course, that's many places in leadership and especially around diversity, equity, and inclusion, as Muriel and I talked about. Uh, A wonderful compliment to that, episode 551, for more details there. All of those episodes you can find on the coachingforleaders.com website. I'm inviting you to set up your free membership if you don't already have it active, because you can search for the entire episode library by topic. However, that's not the only thing that you can do inside the free membership. One of the things that came up for me when I was a manager early in my career and had a team is I, I hosted a weekly staff meeting for my team. And one of the things I always tried to do was to bring in something that provided some credibility that came from outside the organization. Um, you know, a podcast, a, a video, an article in one of the major business publications that reinforced something that we were talking about internally. I don't know if you've ever done that for your team before, but I, I would always run into this problem of uh, inevitably we'd be talking about a topic like how to run better meetings, for example, and I'd be looking for an article last minute and I'd have this thought in the back of my mind, man, I, I feel like I saw that perfect article six weeks ago when I was reading online somewhere, and yet I can't find it now. I don't know where it is. And uh, you know, the, many of these subscription services are great for this, like Wall Street Journal and New York Times and Harvard Business Review. But even there, it's even if you subscribe to those services, which uh, Bonnie and I do for most of those, you know, you only get if you go in there and look for something like meetings, you only get what they've published. You don't get all of the publications out there. And I thought when I started doing this, boy, wouldn't it be great? to have a resource available for folks that would really cross publications and mediums and be useful around topic. And that's exactly what I've created inside the free membership. One of the benefits in there is a tiny little menu item on the left-hand side of the free membership portal. When you log in, it says Dave's Library. When you go into the free membership portal and log in, for those of you who already have accounts, just click on Dave's Library and it pulls up an entire page of hashtags. You're going to see hashtags on meetings and organizational behavior and influence and listening and tons more. And if you click on one of those hashtags, as I'm doing right now with meetings, it'll pull up all of the resources, the articles, the podcasts, not only from me, but from others over the years that I've been putting in the weekly leadership guide. There's uh, several dozen here I'm looking at right now. Resources and articles from Harvard Business Review, Simon Sinek, Fast Company, Paul Graham, Inc. Uh, Let's see, Wall Street Journal is here. LinkedIn, Medium, Seth Godin. uh, So many different tools from different resources that are out there. Why spend the time looking for it yourself? Uh, Go and use that library that I've set up for you. There's several thousand entries now of everything I've been finding over the years in my research, 
that go into the weekly leadership guides. I think it's worth setting up your free membership just to get access to that. And of course, it's entirely free. Go over to coachingforleaders.com, set up your free membership. And if you've already done that, or if you're about to do that, when you get into the free membership, just click on Dave's library. You'll find all of that, plus tons more benefits inside of the portal there that'll be helpful to you in your continued leadership development. Next week, I'm glad to welcome Andrew Warner back to the show. He is a talented interviewer, and he'll be showing us the way to get people talking, something that's super important in leadership today. Have a great week, and I'll see you back on Monday with Andrew. Take care.